A very good morning to you and welcome to today's event, a media partnership with Euroactive and All Policies for a Healthy Europe and the RUMRA Intergroup. RUMRA standing for the uh, health access in rural areas there. We are going to talk about how we can access health in rural areas, remote areas, mountainous areas. We've seen with the European pandemic the situation getting from bad to worse with access to people who are not nearly often enough able to access the services that many of us in cities and towns take for granted. We've seen a great move to digital healthcare and all the opportunities that that offers, but if you've got poor connectivity, you cannot take advantage of it. So we're going to talk about that and the European Commission's long-term vision for rural areas that was published in June. It did acknowledge the difficulties that those sorts of populations are facing, in particular with access to health. There's also questions around ageing population and challenges in leveraging both the green and digital transitions in rural areas. So all of this is going to be discussed today. The event is, as I say, co-organised by All Policies for a Healthy Europe Coalition, which is a multi-stakeholder initiative designed towards putting people's well-being at the centre of all areas of EU policy making and it brings together a group of NGOs, think tanks, associations, companies and individuals all with the same aim. RUMRA and Smart Villages Intergroup is about integrated development for European territories in all their diversity and enables exchanges on innovative ways to create vibrant and attractive rural communities and acts as the voice of rural communities to the European Parliament. So thank you all very much. There's a lot to get through. We have some excellent keynote speeches for you to kick things off and we will then go into a panel discussion. And as always, please don't forget, use the chat function to send us your questions and I'll put as many of those as I can to the speakers over the next hour or so. With that, I would also remind you that you can tweet about the event or share on social media. Use the hashtag Healthy Europe and the hashtag Rural Vision EU to do so and get many people all around Europe involved in talking about this. And with that, we're going to turn over now to a welcoming message from Vice President of the European Commission, Dubravka Sricha, the Democracy and Demography, and is responsible for the EU long-term vision for rural areas. Dear honourable members, ladies and gentlemen, it is a pleasure to address this intergroup once again as we address the subject of health access in rural areas. The subject of health remains a priority for this Commission. In the current COVID context, access to health services is more important than ever before. The Commission's recent report on demography points out that 31 million people in the European Union live in a region that faces the twin challenge of rapid population decline and low GDP per capita. Most of these regions are rural. As the title of today's event suggests, a forward-looking approach with a focus on the long term is required. Stronger, connected, resilient, prosperous. These are the four pillars underpinning the long-term vision for rural areas. This vision is developed not only for rural areas, but with rural areas, making sure that nobody is left behind. This participatory approach continues as we implement the actions set out in the vision, like our Rural Pact. This pact brings together all levels of administration and relevant players for making rural areas attractive places to live and work. 
Next year, we will publish a toolkit on how to make a full use of the opportunities offered by post-2020 EU funds by combining EU funds for projects on revitalization of rural areas. The vision section plan proposes tangible flagships to sustain remote working and services, mobility, business creation and innovation in rural areas. In today's world, Digital connectivity is as vital an infrastructure as water provision. This is particularly true in the area of health, where e-health services will continue to be further developed. A vision flagship called Rural Digital Futures proposes an integrated set of actions to boost the sustainable digital transformation of rural areas. In addition, Rural Observatory will set up within it will be set up within the Commission to further improve data collection and analysis on rural areas. The public consultation of the vision identified health and care services among the most urgent needs of rural areas. As you know, I also work on demography. Demographic change, in particular aging, can be the spark for creating new developments. We must grasp the economic opportunities and the innovative character of the silver economy. I think about innovative technologies, products and services, including in the health sector, that the silver economy is capable of generating. The silver economy is expected to grow by about 5% a year to 5.7 trillion euros in 2025. We know that unmet medical needs are higher in rural areas. In 2019, 3% of the rural population had unmet medical needs. Moreover, compared to cities, towns and suburban areas, access to healthcare in rural areas has deteriorated over the last decade. At the same time, many rural areas lack young skilled people and women tend to leave rural areas more than men. In addition, this lack of skilled young people and women means services provision can be affected. This, these issues must be addressed. Part of our response is the Vision's flagship on social resilience and women in rural areas. It promotes entrepreneurship for women, participation in decision-making and investments in work-life balance services. This will be a real boost to making rural areas attractive for women. This will in turn benefit the provision of health services in these areas because the availability of health services often largely depends on the contribution of women. Successfully addressing all of the issues I just mentioned requires building on the participatory approach of the long-term vision for rural areas. But by saying this, I mean that we must all work together. We need a collaborative approach. The European semester has presented an opportunity to mobilize national efforts to address gaps in access to healthcare in underserved areas. The Commission has often highlighted this challenge, taking into account the variety of problems experienced by Member States. We are providing support through a variety of initiatives. The third health programme, the new EU for Health programme and the EU Health Data Space Initiative will bring more opportunities. The Commission is also providing an opportunity to engage on this very important topic of health through the Conference on the Future of Europe. 
please continue to raise awareness about the conference. Its multilingual digital platform has more than 20,000 contributions so far. European citizens' panels are starting on the 17th of September. Conference plenaries will be starting soon, too, end of October. I would like to thank this intergroup and the All Policies for a Healthy Europe Coalition for your collaboration. The spirit of innovation in health services is alive and kicking in our rural areas. I look forward to our continued collaboration and wish you a fruitful discussion. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much to the Commissioner for sending that message and setting out so many of the things that we are going to be talking about today. As she mentioned there, there's a lot of opportunity to be seized at the moment, so I think it is indeed a very timely discussion. Turning now to one of the partners for this event, we have a short video presentation on the All Policies for a Healthy Europe, just to set the scene so everyone knows what page we're on. 70% of Europeans want to see more action at EU level on health and well-being. Our mission is to position citizens' health and well-being at the centre of EU policy-making. We need to better tie health measures to other linked areas such as the environment, climate, digitalization, food and nutrition, pharmaceuticals, and this will be precisely the focus of our synergies within the Commission. All Policies for a Healthy Europe is an intersectoral initiative that brings together a diverse group of NGOs, think tanks, associations, companies and individuals. We champion a broad and bold vision for health and well-being and see health and well-being as catalysts to a stronger economic model. We seek opportunities for collaboration beyond the healthcare sector. All Policies for a Healthy Europe is keen to support the European Commission's vision for a healthy, climate-neutral, socially inclusive Europe. And you can see there at the end of that video that there are indeed several knowledge partners associated with all policies for a healthy Europe. And we're going to hear now with a representative from one of them to give us a keynote speech and highlight some of the challenges we face. That is Ziger Verkutwin, who is the Vice President for Government Affairs and Policy, EMAA, and the Global Supply Chain at Johnson & Johnson. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm going to hand over the floor to you to hear your thoughts and remarks. Thanks a lot, Jennifer, and thank you, and good morning, everybody. Um, it's a real honor and pleasure to be here with you today at this very important event. And I mean, the commissioner really, could she have made a stronger case for what we're going to be discussing today? And, and to jump straight in into the topic of today, hence reflecting about how to improve the health and well-being of European citizens living in rural and remote areas, we need the digital health transformation. Technology is already um, changing the healthcare ecosystem and accelerating really developments and increasing the possibility of what we can offer patients. And digital tools on the one hand empower citizens to manage their own health, but they also allow healthcare workers to treat patients remotely and deliver improved and more equitable health outcomes while equipping the authorities to accurately track public health through data. 
Now, COVID-19 pandemic has demonstrated many of the benefits of digital health and has sparked an increasing public demand for efficient tools. And it's not over yet, we're just at the beginning of it. The COVID-19 context accelerated aspects related to technology uptake faster than generally you would see in a healthcare context. By unlocking the power of health data, which we do still too little of, and then apply artificial intelligence on it, we can provide broader access to healthcare knowledge and expertise. We can empower patients to have more control over their health. But what we have probably seen most in these periods is the increase in connectivity between patients, physicians, hospitals, and healthcare systems. It has also allowed to really finally drive more towards personalized healthcare and well-being. Digital tools and medical devices, also the commissioner referred to, also help reduce the variability of patient outcomes and therefore play an important part in delivering health equity and addressing further bottlenecks in capacity we are seeing today. And lastly, but probably most relevant for today's event, it allows to connect remotely located and less favored populations and just to make sure these two are not always uh, linked, um, but to give them access to quality services and treatments, including through the accelerated adoption of telehealth, uh, as we've seen during the COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, the rapid adoption of telemedicine during Europe's lockdown helped ensuring at least some relevant continuity of care while keeping patients and healthcare workers safe and has shown us that really delivering healthcare remotely can result in good health outcomes, a positive patient experience and lower costs. All elements that before were thrown in as hurdles. Now, the response to the pandemic also increased uptake of omnichannel and induced the shift towards remote interaction, facilitating, in fact, new ways of engagement through the healthcare value chain. We've seen, for example, 40% less in-person meetings in hospitals. We've seen 60% more virtual training of healthcare professionals, which was highly needed. And 53% more patient appointments were using telemedicine and video conferencing. And 30% even surgeons expect remote procedure support. So we at uh, Johnson & Johnson, one of the partners, we believe these changes are here to stay. Um, whether, I mean, for the virtual training of healthcare professionals, patient, patient appointments using telemedicine or video conferences, but also remote case support and many more examples. I think we need to really break out of the mold of thinking how we were delivering healthcare and managing health uh, before with these new opportunities ahead of us. So as a company, we're therefore um, developing capabilities to support for these remote case supports to help um, return really the non-COVID delivery of healthcare in hospitals, namely via patient treatment at distance and surgeon support at distance. But going forward, really, we need to further build on these and to sustain and to improve, but not just to limit ourselves to these areas, as I said before, the potential is far bigger. Healthcare systems now have an opportunity to learn from this experience that was imposed on us and accelerate further healthcare digitization. This is a momentum not to miss.
This may include the rollout of remote consultations in appropriate context, as well as the use of digital apps and devices to help patients and healthcare professionals better manage conditions. In many cases, really, these approaches have the potential to not just improve outcomes, but also to ensure patients have an, are empowered and have an opportunity to make their preferences being taken into account for once throughout their patient pathway. However, the digital transformation requires us to work together. As the commissioner said, together, we need to collaborate. And that is to further avoid that health inequalities be exacerbated. At the European Commission, as we heard as well, but they said in a 2020 European semester review of member states' healthcare systems report that there is insufficient coordination and cooperation between healthcare providers and a limited integration of health and social care services. We've heard before a lot about silos. Well, they're still there, but we need to get through them. The OECD, and we will hear from them later in the program, recently highlighted that the people most likely to benefit from digital health tools are probably also those who are most likely to face difficulties in accessing them. To build a more resilient and fairer Europe, really citizens should be given the opportunity to reap the full potential of digital health solutions. A successful digital health transformation therefore requires empowering citizens to understand, trust, access, and uptake digital tools and solutions that can significantly improve the quality of health services and citizens' well-being, especially in those remote areas. And so to this end, long-term and people-centered policies are needed and the EU can have a pivotal role. First, the EU should guarantee that its citizens are equipped with the right digital skills to foster public trust and understanding of digital health tools. What we don't understand, we might be afraid of. And without gaining trust, progress will be very difficult. Policies in this respect should include digital education and communication efforts towards citizens to help earn their trust, educate them and make them aware of the advantages that health data and digital tools can bring to their health and well-being. The focus should not only be on the potential risks of such new technologies, which is a bit of a European treat, but also should focus on their far-reaching potential to improve the lives of all Europeans. Further EU action should also include promote closer collaboration with key healthcare and cross-sectoral stakeholders to develop online learning resources on digital skills and health literacy. Review and transform health and care, the full spectrum, I would say, of professionals' curricula to evolve with the needs and greater knowledge and skills development on digital health. Still a too rigid approach to the definition of a healthcare professional's role is still applicable today. And we need to help bridge health inequalities through the development of digital tools. So together with the member states, the EU should invest in digital health and disseminate best practices to help citizens, notably Europeans living in remote areas, disadvantaged socioeconomic groups and elderly citizens to benefit from the digital transformation of health. A successful example is the type of European collaboration uh, is the European Reference Networks projects through which citizens in rural areas can really access the best experts on rare diseases in Europe. 
This should also involve a focus on infrastructure and connectivity. There is where it often all starts or fails, as it is important to ensure equal access to broadband across Europe to ensure the availability of such services to all citizens, bridging the urban-rural divide. This issue is not to be underestimated. And for whatever reason, during the COVID period, I've been in contact with people living very remotely in various European countries. You imagine the personal cost to merely bringing a cable or advanced coverage to their homes is outside proportions. Johnson & Johnson and our knowledge partners at the Healthy Europe Coalition are eager to constructively contribute to this transformation. We have all a shared responsibility to our patients, family members and the loved ones to explore these possibilities and invest in a future where people's well-being is a central priority and disease becomes a thing of the past. Patients are waiting. Thank you for having us and have a great debate that hopefully will contribute for things to change for the better. Over to you, Jennifer. Thank you very much for setting out so clearly the, the issues at stake here and indeed making reference to a lot of the changes we saw during COVID and maybe how best to leverage those. So I do appreciate, thank you so much for your keynote address. We're going to move on now to the more traditional panel part of our discussion. So a reminder to everyone, please do put your questions in the chat on your screen. If you're following, following along on YouTube, do remember you can go to the Euractive page where you will find a way to send your questions as well. And with that, I'd like to introduce you to our panellists. We have joining us today Anna Moreno-Monroy, who is a policy analyst in the Rural Studies section at the OECD. Dr. Stanimir Hazardchev is Secretary General of the EU Patient Access Partnership, PACT. We have Harris Bormidis, President and CEO from Vodafone in Greece. And last but not least, Marianne Eckhardt, who is the President of the European Leadership Association for Rural Development. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. We're going to do a quick one-minute round of introductions just to hear who you are and why you think today's event is so important. So, Anna, let me start with you. I'm afraid, Anna, I think you're on mute. Anna, I'm going to give you a moment to get the, get the mute button switched off. Uh, it should be somewhere there at the bottom of your screen. And, and Stanimir, let me ask you uh, to give us, give us your brief introduction. Um, hello, and thank you very much for the invitation. I was listening to the previous two speakers very carefully, and actually I'm happy of what I heard. But besides technology giving us uh, really an opening to us lots of opportunities that we saw during COVID, we also saw that in some places, technologies could create even more disparities and difficulties for some patients and some people. Therefore, uh, I, I do believe that uh, since uh, ancient times, uh, we have been uh, learning a lesson, uh, and I'm not sure we, we've learned our lesson yet. But uh, all of you know the, uh, this uh, famous uh, phrase that if the hill will not come to Muhammad, Muhammad will go to the hill. And this is uh, um, really valid when we talk about rural areas and access to healthcare. Uh, on one hand, rural areas have very complex uh, and very um, very complex uh, issue, as we heard with many different aspects and problems and different population. 
At the same time, it needs simplification in the way we provide services. So how can we provide uh, a simple, uh, simple uh, solution to a very complex problem? This is one uh, big issue in front of us. The second one is how we make sure that at the end we integrate variety of services and we don't, uh, we don't only cover health because well-being is not only health. It's uh, uh, social uh, um, um, factors, labors, education, uh, and um, all the other factors that uh, um, fall into uh, this definition of well-being. So uh, can we provide healthcare in a silo separate from everything else? And can we say that we have resolved the problem with the rural areas only by providing, let's say, a test or uh, any health services? I would say that it should be uh, definitely uh, in conflict with all others. And uh, um, on the third place, the co-creation, which was already mentioned, that uh, if we want to go to the mountain, we have to know the mountain. Uh, to, to, if we want to go to the hill, as Mohammed, we have to know the hill very well. We have to know all the paths there. So we have to talk with the hill and we have to uh, make sure that we co-create together the solutions that we provide. And last but not least, if uh, uh, we want to be effective in the rural areas, besides being simple, integrated, and uh, um, inclusive to, to those who, are, uh, who live there, we have to provide universal and accessible services for all, regardless of their economic status, uh, their health insurance status, or the country they live, or the health literacy. And uh, with this, I will uh, um, stop with my first intervention. Hopefully, we will have other opportunities afterwards to continue in, in details. Absolutely, we will. Thank you very much. I believe all debates should begin with a Francis Bacon quote. So thank you very much for that. Um, Harris, let me come to you. Um, obviously, as a representative of Vodafone, you know about the problems with connectivity and the solutions that are out there as well. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning, all. Uh, I'm really uh, excited about being, uh, you know, uh, part of this conversation today. Also, because I had the opportunity to spend uh, three years in Sub-Saharan Africa with uh, Vodafone, and I know uh, firsthand what uh, uh, connectivity and uh, health solution can give to rural population or to people with uh, less disposable income. Uh, without any doubt, as we have started to move to, uh, you know, to the digital and to the exponential technology era, uh, it's absolutely critical to understand that the key challenge that we have in front of us is, we, if, uh, is that we should bridge any current or potential uh, digital and technological uh, device uh, between people, between communities and between geographies. And we all know that uh, next generation access network do play a critical role. Actually, is the enabler. We can do nothing well without good uh, connectivity, uh, uh, and especially in the rural areas. Good connectivity and new technologies can create uh, a rejuvenation of, of the European rural areas because they will create uh, new jobs, improve agricultural productivity, uh, access to public services namely also uh, uh, healthcare. But realistically, if we talk about uh, connectivity, uh, next generation access networks in, in the rural, realistically, we need to have in mind that in most of the cases, 
uh, a fast uh, uh, and massive deployment of those networks in those areas does not make uh, uh, necessarily financial uh, sense uh, in the short run. That's why it's absolutely critical in my view that uh, uh, it will be needed significant financial support from the governments in order to go towards the, uh, this direction. And I believe that the context and the idea and the objectives of uh, resilience and recovery funds within this context, we can unlock uh, funding to improve connectivity uh, in those areas. But it's not only about uh, uh, funding, it's also about a wider mix of policies uh, that uh, uh, will encourage uh, uh, collaboration uh, uh, in, in an effort to have more sustainable uh, business models uh, uh, for the companies for a massive and fast deployment of uh, uh, new networks in those areas. Uh, and beyond that, I believe what it is needed more than ever is that uh, uh, national governments together with the industry in consultation with the industry to find the right mi uh, mix of policies in order to rejuvenate rural, in order to uh, make the transition of where we are today to where we want to go to be an, uh, a such transi uh, transition to be inclusive and available to all. Now, when it comes to, uh, to healthcare, there is no doubt. On the contrary, there is strong evidence uh, uh, that uh, good connectivity and uh, uh, e-health applications and solutions can provide better access, better prevention, better diagnosis, better uh, uh, treatment, and better monitoring. Uh, Vodafone is uh, very active uh, and uh, very focused on uh, these e-health solutions, and uh, we are proud as Greece that Vodafone has located the Global Research and Development Center uh, in Greece, also capitalizing on our uh, extended experience on, uh, on uh, telemedicine as we run a telemedicine program for 14 years now uh, in Greece that uh, touches about uh, half a million people every year in uh, rural uh, Greece. So in a nutshell, I would say that uh, the opportunities in front of us, provided that networks will be there, held by uh, funding, held by uh, cross-collaboration uh, between uh, uh, different industries and between the government and the industry, and also uh, because of uh, technology, the technology and the exponential technology of our days, they have no limits. In that way, uh, we can see a more prosperous uh, future, not only on health, but especially on health uh, uh, for everyone across the European footprint. Thank you very much, Harris, for your thoughts and your expertise, uh, particularly with the view from Greece. Anna, let me come to you now. I think we will be able to hear you. Give us your comments, please. Yes, uh, thank you, Jen, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for the invitation. Mm -hmm. I'm an economist at the Center for Entrepreneurship, SMEs, Regions and Cities at the OECD. We've been looking at the problem of improving access to healthcare in rural and remote areas through the lens of balancing basically three dimensions, cost, access, and quality. And we see that policies often have focused on the cost and quality dimensions, 
but not necessarily on the access. And actually, these kind of policies, efficiency driven policies, can hurt access. And this has been a disregarded uh, area that uh, we are calling for to bring forward again. Here, we identified too that uh, in OECD countries and in Europe, there are long standing rural urban gaps in all three dimensions. So, rural areas are behind in all dimensions to start with. And we give a series of recommendations that go along the lines of taking a people-centered approach, especially uh, reinforcing primary care and leveraging innovations, especially, as was mentioned before, the huge potential of telemedicine. And last but not least, uh, ensuring the retention and attraction of uh, health workers to rural areas. So I hope uh, during this uh, event, I will be able to discuss uh, some of this more with you, Adeline. Thank you, Anna, for that and, and for that slide as well, leaving us a very clear idea of some of the big problems and the big challenges we need to address. Marian, give us your perspective. Uh, you're from the Association for Ru Leadership for Rural Development, something that I think it sounds like we do need at the moment. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, first, for inviting me and thank you also for organizing this uh, event because I think it is indeed really, really important. And I'm also so honored to be speaking here with all these experts uh, because uh, leader, yeah, we, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the president of the European Leader Association for Rural Development, which means that we gather more than 2,200 local action groups from 28 different countries. Uh, so it means that I'm Think, I think I'm here because I'm the voice of the rural people here today. And, um, and when I think about what difficulties the policy and decision makers could encounter when designing solutions to improve health access in rural areas, well, uh, I think it is true and digitization is uh, very important and I, it can help for regular visits. I think you call it primary care. Primary care. But uh, today, at least uh, as I have understood it, it's not uh, for more serious illnesses or in intensive help. Uh, I am from Sweden myself, and uh, we have come, I think, very far when it comes to digitalized uh, care. Uh, there is a lot of activities going on, and uh, it's normal that you do all your appointments via the same homepage and so on. But uh, this does unfortunately not help the women in northern Sweden that have to travel 400 kilometers to give birth or 400 kilometers only to make a regular ultrasound. Um, and in rural areas more adjacent to cities like my own, I only have to drive 50 kilometers to give birth uh, or for any acute emergency which is pretty far still. Uh, I have been in situations where I have been driving a screaming child for 50 kilometers. It takes almost an hour. Uh, and I think it's very stressful and dangerous. And I do not really know how digitization can help us in those situations. And also, we need to know our first aid because um, if there is a potential mortal emergency, uh, which has not happened to me yet, thank God, I. I we can wait 20 to 30 minutes for the next ambulance to be there. So uh, we are definitely depending on uh, car and driving license and, and real, real, um, real care. On the other hand, I think it's positive that the digitization is proceeding, which is, means that in any not so acute issue, I can meet doctors online, I can prescribe medicine 
Unfortunately, in Sweden, the net doctors have shown to be targeting young and healthy people. That means that they have a contrary idea to the regular health care, where our regular health care is working to give the most needy persons help first. The, the private net doctors are actually targeting the most prosperous, uh, which means that they are kind of um, draining the system with cases like uh, urinary tract infection or other simple diseases where a Swedish patient in the regular, uh, regular system would normally only meet a nurse. Uh, those private doctors, uh, private net doctors, let the people meet a real doctor, and then uh, it is the regular system that has to pay for this doctor uh, appointment. So it it turns that the private providers actually has the result of the regular care getting scarcer. But strangely enough, it has shown also that the people that are using the net doctors are most young and healthy people living in our bigger urban areas like Stockholm, Gothenburg or Malmö. In Stockholm, they use the net doctor four times more often as in Norrbotten, one of our northernmost uh, regions. So, and another problem with the digital healthcare is that uh, there is prescription of psychopharmacies going on and there is no follow-up. And I guess we all know that this is not good because people need maybe more, uh, more ongoing uh, help than that. Uh, however, I mean, uh, the, the system comes up from something and I, uh, there, I have uh, seen also articles from doctors that work from the, for the next doctors that think that the regular care system is too slow, too administrative, and that is why we need private solutions like this. So what we need and what is really important, I think, is for politicians and administrators to carefully examine and react on what consequences the system that you're building up digitally has for the taxpayers. In Sweden, I think we are not clear around it yet, uh, even though the majority of the voices seems to be claiming that the system that is being built up uh, from private providers is draining it. Uh, I, the patients still use it because it's much more accessible. So in the end, I think in Sweden's case, it's a, a question about how much tax income and costs we do have in each region, uh, because in our country, the regions are responsible for the healthcare, and this is very different from region to region, and we need to make systems that provides uh, the basis for an equal healthcare, also for people living in rural areas. Um, so, I, I mean, I think... Yes, uh, I'm not an expert, so I, I think there is probably a lot of ways to uh, um, develop digital healthcare, um, uh, what you can use it for. But right now, uh, the reality that, that I see in Sweden, at least, it is mainly for young, healthy people in urban areas. Uh, also, failing skills or failing connectivity, of course, like some of our experts said before, uh, leads also to unequal healthcare. And uh, we should be aware of the, the system with private uh, initiative competing with the regular public health healthcare. Also, I would like to point out that we have unequal health uh, situation out of, of course, income, education, gender, but also I would like us to look more at the place where you live, because I think that rural people are losing out uh, on, on how, how what is being offered and how can we do it. And uh, I think um, 
the scarcity scarcity of course makes it hard to make economies of scale but uh, people in rural areas they pay taxes as well and we have a responsibility if we don't want people to be feel left behind uh, so i think yes there is a possibility uh, for digitization to to solve some issues and probably for this uh, primary care maybe but we need to develop much more uh, than we have in sweden right now for example Thank you. Thank you very much. Indeed, you're echoing there, I think, what Stanimir said about how we need to prevent digitization, actually increasing disparity, something that's important. But also, Marion, I'm very struck by your, uh, your image of driving 50 kilometers with a screaming child. It's, it's a very real feeling that I think we can all tangibly relate to. And also, a thank you as well for bringing up the issue of it being territories that maybe deal with these areas, because of course, health is not an EU competency, it's a member state competency. So actually trying to bring all these threads together is quite challenging. So now we've met all our panellists who are going to be having a debate and a discussion about all these issues that we've set out in our opening comments. We're going to turn now to a keynote from MEP Tomislav Sokol, who is the vice chair of the Rumour and Smart Villages Intergroup and the All Policies for a Healthy Europe Coalition Wellbeing Ambassador, who's going to set out a keynote that we will then be able to draw on during our panel discussion. So thank you very much, Tomislav. Over to you. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, I'm very glad and proud to be part of this event because this is directly relates to the topics that I've been discussing here and making initiatives on here in the Parliament uh, since the start of my term in office. I apologize maybe for not being uh, here from the start because I had some technical issues, but I'm glad that it has been resolved now. So, access to healthcare. I think that is the, one of the most important problems now in the European Union because uh, we know that the European Health Union has become the topic in this term in office due to a large extent to COVID-19 pandemic, but also to other initiatives like the, like the European Beating Cancer Plan and other initiatives related to healthcare, which have shown us that even though healthcare is, as you put it, primary competence of the member state, EU is there to provide added value. So to resolve those issues, those problems, which member states cannot resolve by themselves. And I think here, this is the key role that EU can play, especially COVID-19, but also, as I said, the, the, the initiative of EU beating cancer plan have shown us that EU can really do make a difference and can really help, help to address the issue of unequal access to healthcare. Because without unequal access to healthcare, in, with such big differences in terms of access to healthcare, which then translate to health outcomes like uh, like mortality for uh, for some uh, of some uh, as a result of some diseases, but also average life life expectancy. So all of these differences that exist, while they exist, we cannot really speak about uh, equality in European Union. We cannot speak about fairness, about solidarity, but and we can also we, we also cannot speak obviously about European Health Union, but also European social citizenship as a concept. So we know that we have the European citizenship, we have the European pillar of social rights, but without having equal access to this basic public service, and that is uh, healthcare provision, we really cannot speak about uh, all citizens being equal in the European Union. And this, this is what I think this is one of the crucial issues that the European Union has to address now. Of course, this, uh, this inequality of access can relate to, uh, is, relates to different uh, 
different groups, minority groups in society, different parts of the European Union, like for instance, usually the bigger problems are in the East than the West, but rural area, but the problem in rural areas is probably the biggest. And if you look at all the all the benchmarks and all the criteria, etc. You can see that really the uh, problem of healthcare access is the biggest in rural areas, which amount which uh, which amount to the majority of the territory of the European Union. And of course, without uh, having uh, access to modern to modern infrastructure, to modern public services like healthcare, we will have people still emigrating, people still leaving the rural areas. We have a demographic crisis being getting worse and worse, which is also one of the big one of the big issues in the European Union. So this is definitely uh, one of the problems that we have that we have to tackle. Because uh, because if we do not if we do not do nothing or if we do not do, do enough, people from rural areas will continue to emigrate to cities. To cities, these these areas will be left empty or with very elderly population, and in the end uh, they will just die out. They will just be left empty, which will which will which will be big which will be a big major political issue, economic issue, demographic issue, but also security issue in some areas of the EU if they are left empty without population. And of course, so this, so this this why I think this is a very, very timely topic and very timely discussion. I think two biggest problems that that, uh, that exist when we discuss healthcare access in uh, rural areas is the lack of basic health infrastructure, like hospitals, like uh, medical, medical, primary care medical facilities, uh, etc., but also lack of healthcare professionals. So I know from my country, for instance, that healthcare prof that it's very hard to get healthcare professionals, even for even if you pay them higher salaries, to actually go and work in rural areas because uh, uh, living conditions are different. Uh, they have to co usually cover very big areas areas of space. Uh, they do not have access to modern equipment which which they can can use to facilitate to to facilitate. To facilitate actual healthcare provision, they do not have access to data, to to digital infrastructure, which is in many cases uh, very useful for uh, for healthcare professional uh, professionals who provide healthcare. So this is definitely so. These are all problems that need to need to address. But health infrastructure and lack of health workforce, they, these are I think the two, two of the crucial issues that that we, that exist in rural areas. So. Then the, after identifying the problem, and they have, they have also been uh, mentioned by previous speakers, the question is what European Union can do about it. Because in many cases when we discuss problems and solutions, we mix up uh, competencies and powers of the member states, their possibilities, their programs, plans, actions, etc., and those of the European Union. So what, is, what can the European Union do about it? And despite the fact that in many cases we use this division of competence, competences as an excuse not to do enough on the European level, I believe that now these excuses can no longer work with the announcement by the President of the Commission of the European Health Union that we should really dis, uh, focus on, on all of the instruments, all the possibilities that we have at our disposals to make a difference. And I usually group these possibilities into two types. So we have the regulatory possibilities and we have concrete financial possibilities, which are now bigger than ever. When you speak of regulatory, there are, there are many, there are many legal, legal uh, parts of legal framework, uh, regulations and directives that either are already in place need to be reworked or improved, but also some additional new pieces of legislation that are that is being worked on now, which will make a difference once adopted by the uh, by the by the parliament and the council. But of course, and of course, first uh, proposed by the commission. One one of the initiatives that has already been mentioned is health data space. 
So this is, this is I think, probably the most important current regulatory initiative in the area of healthcare because it resolves problem of using data across different member states. Because we know, we know that data is key in European reference networks, which are used for cross-border healthcare collaboration between different healthcare professionals and institutions, are being used to a big extent. It's, this is the, the actual success story of the European Union. But we can also but we can also see that that when using data in different member states, we are facing issues. And the main issues relate to interoperability. So, so we have different protocols, different way, technical ways of using data. We have different, unfortunately, different interpretations of the GDPR requirements in different member states. And all of this is, is uh, making uh, the use of data very hard and very, very, and very complicated in these administrative and bureaucratic terms. So if we want to have this real cross-border cooperation, use of data, use of digital technologies, use of e-health, for instance, then we need the regulation of European health data space, which will make this uh, health, data, health data interoperable, that it can be used in different member states. This, this sounds maybe a bit abstract, but we have some very concrete practical examples. Let's say that you are, that you are a patient from a border region, from a village in a border region, where your, where your closest uh, healthcare, pro uh, health, healthcare institution, the, health, uh, the closest place of healthcare provision, healthcare provider is just across the border in different in a different in the different member state. So, without uh, and so so what the 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 use of data, digital technologies, and e-health offer you is a chance that you do not have to go physically. 50 kilometers to hospital, for instance, in another member state or in, in your own member state, but you can, but you or your primary care physician can just send your your data, your your, your information on your medical condition to a specialist in this hospital in a different member state, and then get get the important uh, specialist opinion on this. But if you want to do this, then if you want to send this data across border and get the medical opinion of specialists from other member states, then we need uh, compare, comparability of data. Then we need then we need interoperability of this data, and this is what this idea of European health data space will make. So that your that your data can be used by specialists in other member states, that you can get their opinion, and without having to having to travel 50 kilometers or 100 kilometers, which is a big problem in rural areas, especially for patients who are elderly, who may be physically unfit or unable to travel, they do not have means of transport, etc. So this is one of the important initiatives. So I know that the Commission is working on this proposal now, and I believe that next year we'll already be in progress of adopting this legislation also in the European Parliament. The second big issue, the second big uh, instrument that we can use to uh, improve access to healthcare in rural areas is cross-border healthcare. So we know that we already have cross-border healthcare directive, which regulates this, but we also know that these possibilities to access healthcare in other member states in case adequate healthcare cannot be provided in your own national territory, is very problematic, very complex, very cumbersome. So people are problem is of course geographic distances. You have to travel long distances, differences differences in language between different member states. Obviously, problem of lack of information, lack of possibilities to travel, but also big administrative and bureaucratic obstacles to accessing healthcare abroad. So first, it's essentially, uh, first, it, and these uh, these obstacles are very big. For instance, first, it's not just the cross-border healthcare directive which regulates this right, but also social security coordination regulations, possibilities to access healthcare abroad. And they have different rules, different procedures prescribed, different uh, tariffs of reimbursing the actual 
amount, uh, the actual cost of uh, cost of healthcare and different procedures that are used. And so this is so complicated that only healthcare specialists and legal specialists who deal with these specific topics, such as myself, for instance, are actually are actually actually know uh, how to how to, how how to how to actually use these these rights that, which are provided by European Union legislation. But that's the problem. So, and and, and uh, still large obstacles exist. One additional obstacles exist. One of the biggest obstacles is that, it, according to cross-border healthcare directive, patients who want to access healthcare abroad, which cannot access at home, they have to pay upfront. They have to pay the actual cost of the treatment and ask for reimbursement. Which, of course, for people with less resources from rural areas, it will be a big problem. And also, one of the big big issues is that those, the people who decide about whether adequate healthcare can or cannot be provided in your own member state are usually the one, th those specialists who are providing healthcare in your own territory. And in many cases, you know, many cases that they actually uh, prefer to say that their own treatments that they are provided by the, by themselves are bigger and are better and more efficient than the treatments provided abroad. So this is why I have proposed, uh, and my, uh, I am glad that my uh, political group, the European People's Party, has accepted this in the BECA committee, the Special Committee on Beating Cancer. So we proposed several amendments uh, with the, uh, on the report on the European Beating Cancer Plan with the idea to make this uh, health, cross-border healthcare much more accessible and much, much more visible and to provide much more information for the patients about possibilities that, that they have. So the first proposal is actually since we have two sets of these reimbursement rules on social on coverage of costs of healthcare abroad, the social security coordination and cross-border healthcare directive, the idea is to merge these rules into one. So to make them much more simple, make much much more transparent, and in this and in this way the patients will be will will have much a much bigger knowledge and it will be much much easier for them much less complex for them to know what their rights are and to use these rights to access yes. healthcare. so that's so that's one thing the second the second the second the second important proposal is the right to second opinion so if you if the doctors in your own home country tell that you can that you have adequate treatment which can be provided in your own territory the idea is that you can ask for second opinion from other members from physicians from other member states who will say whether also good treatment or better treatment can be provided in that in that in that other country and the idea is to make to impose an obligation on member states to uh, to to provide much more information about these possibilities to patients that exist now and final point about funding so, and then, and then I, I will be finished. European Union has a lot of possibilities to invest into health workforce and health infrastructure. We have EU for Health program, which is 12 times bigger than it was, that similar program was in the previous financial period. But we also have the cohesion policy. And the, the cohesion policy, which is not usually mentioned in this context, is the biggest uh, source of funding for health infrastructure provided by the EU. In the previous seven years, because I'm working as a rapporteur in the Committee Regional Development on, the, on this topic, Actually, actually, uh, 50, 56 billion euros were provided from EU funds, from cohesion for policy funds, uh, for investment into health infrastructure. And this can be used to, in, to invest into digital infrastructure, into actual hospitals, 
into actual healthcare healthcare facilities, into transport, uh, into, into transport uh, infrastructure, which is necessary if you want to access uh, healthcare professionals in, if you're in rural area areas. But also, European Social Fund can also be used to finance, for instance, specialization, sub specializations for healthcare professionals in rural areas. So to so to to have more healthcare professionals actually providing healthcare in those rural rural areas, which is a big problem today. So to sum, sum up, healthcare inequalities, lack of lack, lack of equal access in healthcare, one of the major issues. We cannot speak about European Union as a union of equal citizens uh, with, with, with such a big problem. Rural areas, the biggest, the biggest challenge, the biggest problem. We have a lot, we have regulatory solutions like the new health data space regulation, which will provide interoperability and, use, and make use of the exchange and use of data across borders, the revision of cross-border healthcare legal framework, and also a lot of new funding that can be used for health, to improve health infrastructure and, uh, and, uh, and health uh, workforce for access in, to health in, in rural areas. So we have a lot of things at our disposal. We have to start working not today, but yesterday. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's very comprehensive indeed. And you, we were getting comments in from our chat function, uh, remarking on, on many of the, the things you've said there. Uh, one, one person is suggesting that instead of transporting patients across borders, maybe we need to work on transporting and the cross-border mobility of health and healthcare professionals, which is, I think, a good idea. Something I'm sure we will be able to pick up in the rest of our panel. So thank you very much, Tomislav, for joining us today. I'm going to turn now back to our panel discussion to pick up on some of the issues raised there by our MEP in his keynote. In particular, we talked about the, he mentioned the issue of cost as, as, and, and funding as, as a central point. Um, so Anna, let me start with you. On your slide, we saw that there might be trade-offs between quality, cost and access. Could you reflect on, on where maybe those balances lie? Sure. Uh, Jen, uh, here I think it's important to realize that a lot of uh, cost-efficient strategies, for instance, centralizing care in a city, may improve quality because you you know you have professionals that are attracted to cities that would work in the hospitals, and this will result in better care, in better quality outcomes. But at the same time, decentralization, you know, that can also result in cost efficiency because you have scale economies it's affecting access. So then you have to wonder about the cost of the populations that cannot directly access these bigger facilities. And here is where we talked about reinforcing primary care and how you go about it and how you complement it with uh, telemedicine. But I think a very important point I want to make at, uh, at this stage is that a lot of the rural urban gaps uh, that we saw in the slide along the three dimensions uh, are driven strongly by a compositional effect. The fact that you have uh, a higher concentration or lower income, lower educated people in rural areas compared to urban areas. And we know that these populations have uh, worse health outcomes that are related to them accessing less uh, often medical services, that uh, accessing less preventing services, for instance. Then also the part on aging that is extremely important here in rural populations, you can have a higher share of the elderly that spend the, the last years of their life in poor uh, quality of health. And this increase in, increases cost, let's say, exponentially. That's when you see really the cost of healthcare exploding. It's at the last part of life how you spend those last years. And here we don't have very good data to assess the rural urban gaps in this dimension that is extremely linked to raising costs in healthcare. 
We know, for instance, that 80% of women in Latvia and Slovak Republic spent uh, the last years of their life in poor health, 80%. We don't know how many of these live in rural areas, but we might guess that a lot of them uh, live in rural areas. So how do we take care of these gaps that are related to both incomes and aging that are more present in rural areas, given that these are structural factors, because as I mentioned, this depends on the composition between rural and urban areas that we don't see will be changing in the near future. Thank you very much, Anna. Uh, Stanimir, I want to come to you next because I'm seeing uh, some of the questions I have ready for you are actually being echoed already by members of the public following along today. So clearly we're, we're touching the right nerve today. So uh, Gefra Fulane has asked, um, she said, uh, digital solutions certainly enable better access to healthcare and other services, but how exactly can we counter the challenges that rural regions present, given that each case in each region has its own specificities? So I think, yeah, I mean, you mentioned a lot about the, the digital telemedicine opportunities. What do we really need to fully leverage the potential? Well, uh, two uh, things I, I think we, we have to consider. On one hand, um, we heard from uh, Mr. Sokol that uh, we have lots of opportunities in Europe to invest in, uh, uh, in digitalization and in rural areas. Uh, this is fine, but are we sure that always the, the investment is done wisely and that the investment at the end is, doing, uh, um, is fulfilling its purpose? to uh, increase access. I have the feeling that in Europe we are uh, too much putting efforts in innovating and uh, reinventing the wheel every time with every new project and governments uh, uh, have this tent uh, uh, to, to do it rather than uh, taking those models that really work and simply implement it. And I think Europe has a key role here. Besides uh, healthcare being a competence of governments, um, I think Europe has the responsibility to uh, make sure that the European money are used only for those solutions that uh, the evidence has shown that they work. So this is one really important thing to make sure that the technologies are accessible and that uh, they uh, would uh, fit the purpose uh, uh, we want to. The second <clears throat> very uh, important thing uh, about uh, this is about the simplicity of the technology. I think the best technology we can have is that technology that doesn't require any health literacy from the person uh, from the person uh, who interacts with it it should be um, created in a very natural way so somebody who has never touched a computer a telephone or anything um, uh, technological would be able to um, interact through a natural way let's say through voices Therefore, I do believe that in future, in rural areas, technologies which are really close to the people, developed, co-created with the people, would dramatically change the situation. Technologies that stay at home and interact with the people every day, rather than waiting to uh, a year or several months to go to the doctor, they will uh, really do the real change. And technologies which will allow people to live where they are, and uh, um, but still have high quality of healthcare services and not only health but uh, social and, and the entire spectrum of services that they need these are the technologies that would change uh, um, the situation right now and i think we should look into those actually lots of them already exist the only thing we have to do is to wisely use the money 
that uh, EU is providing and to make sure that uh, they uh, really go uh, for, for the benefit of uh, the rural areas and the, the people living there. Thank you very much for that. Um, I want to come now, Marion, to you. We've got uh, quite some interesting questions coming in from our audience, so we really appreciate that. Do keep them coming. Yes, there are probably, uh, we should look for a healthy life and I think we can have it also in rural areas, but, but, but I'm sure we can have it in urban areas as well. So I, I, I'm not sure that is uh, actually what we should be aiming at. I think also people are dreaming of these uh, um, rural areas where people are not uh, suffering from stress, but I think people suffer from stress everywhere. It's like a global disease right now. So I, I'm not sure. I think it's a little bit of a romanticized uh, picture, but I, I don't have a data and statistic around it. Uh, but I know that there are people that want to live in rural areas and they should be able to do so without risking their lives. Uh, and that is uh, my, my main point, I guess. And also I wanted to add, and I think what the digitization, the main gain could be actually, because I, I see that in the digitization, and I was really impressed from, from, from Stanimir saying that uh, we should uh, not put all the effort in innovating, but to use the systems that we have. And we should should put in these systems and, and, and connect them to the regular healthcare so that we can, can maybe save money in the regular healthcare and then have the possibility also to go out and give real healthcare uh, in real life healthcare to people. Because I think that is uh, missing and it will be missing also in the future um, unless we come up in get better economically uh, uh, systems running thank you thank you yes indeed some of your comments also being echoed in the chat function that we have uh, people saying that we need to attract more doctors make the rural areas attractive to the healthcare professionals and others suggesting ways to try and rejuvenate uh, these uh, rural areas um, I'm going to come back to you in a bit, Marion, but I want to ask you about strategies. Um, but first, let me turn, Harris, to you. Um, Marion there mentioned stress as a global disease. We have already got a very serious pandemic on our hands. How do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has altered the, uh, the rollout of digital, the uptake of digital and telemedicine services? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the pandemic was... Uh uh, a digital acceleration across the board. 
uh, we had an organic shift to digital, but uh, you know uh, uh, the pandemic uh, uh, acted as a, as a, as an accelerator, and I think it uh, it made evident to everybody where we should uh, be getting to uh, uh, going forward. I think when it comes to help and reflecting uh, uh, to very right uh, challenge uh, coming from uh, Marion previously, which basically says how far we can go. So my reflection to that is uh, I'm much more, um, uh, I think the focus and the restrictive factor, if we will not be able to, uh, uh, to have a good connectivity, new generation action network in rural areas, that would be the restrictive factor and not what uh, uh, the technolo technology can possibly do. And uh, I think we have a number of examples. Uh, as uh, it was said previously, the technology uh, is, is here uh, and we have a number of examples uh, that I can share with you very briefly. So first, given, uh, you know, as I said before, the the 15 years of, uh, almost 15 years of uh, telemedicine program we run in Greece. We have hard data indicating, for example, that 75% of, uh, of the people reported a reduction in the number of uh, hospitals visits. One out of the two uh, said that the primary uh, care was improved. 90% of the doctors uh, reported that uh, it's uh, uh, the important benefit of uh, telemedicine, for example, was the ability to deliver better quality of service. And of course, uh, you know, the decongestion of uh, regional hospital was evident as well. But this is, is, is the baseline. And as we're moving uh, forward, uh, we can take this to the next level. We are not too far by using 5G technology from having uh, remote surgery in place. The prototypes are there. We need to, you know, to, to fine tune, but I don't see it's going to be many years uh, uh, to the time that we, we will see uh, uh, remote surgeries. In Germany, another example by uh, Vodafone with, uh, uh, in cooperation with uh, University Clinics of Düsseldorf, created a, a 5G uh, uh, private network uh, combining this with other technologies like uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, and then uh, having, uh, uh, you know, applications regarding precision medicine, remote health monitoring, remote consultation and treatment, and many other cases in Portugal, in Spain that we have implemented. In a nutshell, I think inevitably we should uh, take this remote uh, health uh, uh, provision to the next level. The technology is there, and, uh, and as we speak now, the technology is improving across the board. The benefits of uh, remote healthcare are already evident. We need to make sure that we're going to have the networks in those areas, because all the technology I mentioned before will not work without you know 5G, without uh, good connectivity, uh, fiber. Uh, so this is something that uh, we should care more about because the rest, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's here, as said, but uh, technology will not stop. Thank you very much for that and giving us the, the technical side of it. Um, I'm seeing uh, some comments in the chat. Mark Roberts from County Fermanagh in Northern Ireland. 
wants to see an enforced focus on outcomes over the medium term and the long term rather than process. Um, we also have more questions about how can rural areas become more attractive and offer the same in terms of healthcare as is found in urban areas. Um, I'm going to put this question now uh, to uh, Anna and Stanimir from Vasiliki Anugurdi asking about what sort of healthcare we should be looking at, balanced healthcare services that access address both chronic and primary care and acute needs. So I, I want you to um, perhaps, Anna, reflect on the different sorts of healthcare. Um, and maybe come on as well and talk about maybe prevention as, as well as treatment. But, uh, but is it, do you see one area or another that is, is more in need of, of upgrading? Yeah, this is an excellent question because it relates to this balance that we've been talking about. Actually, the provision at higher levels above uh, primary care requires higher scale. So this is why we see a concentration of these more specialized services in space. And we know a lot, a lot of uh, Europe uh, will be losing population, becoming more sparsely populated. So it will be not cost efficient to have those facilities everywhere. Uh, on top of that, it will be difficult to attract professionals that would have to travel long distance to get to work in these facilities. So it is uh, maybe not a viable option to have acute and specialized care everywhere. That's why we emphasize the important role of primary care, especially on prevention and uh, as a door towards these more specialized services that can become of higher quality once they are concentrated. So it needs to be a strong link between the physical provision uh, of primary care with uh, the higher levels, especially because in the recent report that we did, we look at the population projections to 2035, and we see that the needs for different services, such as maternity services or cardiology services, will change a lot as the population ages and as fertility rates keep declining. So we have to keep in mind that population trends of different age groups will affect uh, strongly, in some cases, the demand for certain services. So we need to plan from today, how are we going to serve populations in the future and what makes most sense to organize these acute and specialized services in space so you maximize access uh, and quality and also seek uh, cost uh, efficiency. Some really great points. Um, I'm sure, uh, Stanimir, you will echo many of those, but I'd like to get your thoughts on, on what sort of services are needed most and most, most urgently, but then also, take, as Anna did, looking to the future about whether it's about preventative medicine or chronic ongoing care. I think that um, any service might be most needed when you need it, personally. So for, for each patient, <laughs> this service that is needed right now is the most needed one. Uh, therefore, we, we cannot prioritize uh, in a way that we uh, reduce some services uh, or, or uh, put them away just uh, to prioritize others. Uh, appropriateness, uh, this is one of the, of the words that uh, explains access according to the five A's concept, is exactly that, to have the right service at the right place for the right patient, nothing more or nothing less. So what is the best model actually to provide such services? This is a question that uh, we are questioning ourselves as well. And that's why uh, currently we have an open call for um, the packed model access solution. So I would encourage everyone who is uh, listening to us or uh, watching us right now, if you are aware of a model somewhere, 
regardless whether it's in Europe or beyond, please uh, uh, do apply and uh, do put, put forward this project. Uh, it will be reviewed by really um, experts, high-level experts, to see if we have such models can be implemented on place. Being honest, I've seen one such model, unfortunately not in Europe, but uh, of course uh, nothing, uh, not everything is happening here or starting here. But the best model I have seen is a model where uh, uh, the, the, the people, the citizens can access um, healthcare facilities which are integrated with all other services in one single day, they can receive all the services, not only the healthcare services, but uh, um, the labor one. And uh, each patient is evaluated in this single day uh, since he's contacted. And once in this uh, multifunctional center, he receives uh, everything he might need. Uh, on top of that, they are very well linked with uh, uh, the bigger healthcare facilities like hospitals uh, and doctors from, uh, from uh, different specialities have the opportunity to look and to provide high quality um, advices and uh, services to the patient at the place where he lives. And only those small proportion of patients who really need are fast transported to uh, the bigger center. And uh, actually in such uh, um, cheap uh, and uh, um, big in numbers uh, uh, facilities, we can afford to have actually healthcare in every single city uh, one day um, in, in Europe, uh, if not in every village. But this is the way forward, I do believe, using the technologies and optimizing existing resources and stepping on the evidences, providing accessible and high quality care to all without losing time and without uh, um, spending more time in, uh, for, for the patients to uh, go from doctor to doctor or waiting times. It has to be accessible and fast for everyone. And the Thank you very much. Um, uh, let me come back to you, Tomislav. I, I think you wanted to have a, a brief comment on what you're hearing. Yes, uh, thank you very much. So I wanted to comment on this uh, discussion about provision of healthcare for patients while staying in rural areas versus them going to somewhere else to get healthcare. So I think that, uh, of course, the, the priority is to make it possible for them, them to obtain healthcare without having to travel somewhere. And this is where you can, can make a difference. So I mentioned so funding from European social funds for health workforce, which will then be, which will, who will stay and provide healthcare in rural areas. And we can, and we can use EU funding, use European cohesion policy social funds to actually provide, provide incentives for medical doctors, for health workforce to stay in those, in those rural areas and to provide, and to go, or to go there and provide healthcare there. Also, when we speak of investments, of course, we, we, are, we are mentioning digital infrastructure, digital services, e-health, uh, telemedicine, etc. But if we want to have this, possibly in rural areas, then we have to provide digital infrastructure. Because in many rural areas, if you, uh, in Europe, you don't, just do not have high-speed internet, so you cannot use these services. And this is also where European Regional Development Fund can be used to finance this basic uh, digital infrastructure, which can then be used to, uh, to, to get uh, healthcare services in rural areas without having to travel somewhere else. So this is obviously the priority. But apart from that, there are some cases where you need to go somewhere else to get healthcare. If you need a very complex uh, surgery, in most cases, you will have to go somewhere else to get healthcare. 
So the idea is with the revision of healthcare, cross-border healthcare rules, is to, to facilitate and make this uh, provision of healthcare if it cannot be provided in your own territory, in your own rural area, in your own village or somewhere, then that you can access this healthcare somewhere else, maybe in another member state, without all the bureaucratic and administrative hurdles and obstacles that you have to face. So, of course, prime priority for you, funding for regulatory framework, for, uh, for provision of healthcare for people while staying in rural areas, but also to make it possible when there is no other way to go somewhere else and get healthcare. Thank you, Thomas Lab. Thank you for, for following so intently our discussions today. We're appreciative of it. I want to come around now. We're in our last uh, 10 minutes of today's event. So I want to have a final round of questions to the panel because we haven't really dealt with some of the policy points that, uh, that we could have maybe raised in terms of what is the European Commission doing. It outlined its initiative to address rural areas earlier this year. So I'd like to ask you all, what are the difficulties and the challenges that these policymakers and, and, and design uh, of, of our future policy face when looking to improve health access in rural areas? And what is your dream access, what is your dream level of access to this? Um, what would your particularly best policy for rural healthcare in 2030 or say 2050 look like? So if each of you can give me your, your idea on, on what that would look like and what you would like to ask these policymakers to do. Harris, let me uh, let me do it in reverse order this time. Harris, let me start with you and give you your, your final thoughts to take away. Now, I think uh, uh, the, uh, the vision of the Commission and what it has been outlined uh, uh, in the context of uh, resilient uh, and recovery funds are in the right direction. We saw uh, from uh, uh, the previous speaker um, that uh, from Thomas Lab that uh, uh, there is uh, uh, in the agenda is uh, at the very high level of how we make sure that digital infrastructure is in place uh, in those areas in order to uh, take advantage of, of the technology. I believe that uh, uh, not at the European level, but I think on a national level, I think uh, 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 recovery, uh, resilience and recovery funds should have a vision of enhancing, of uh, uh, working with, uh, with the industry and enhancing the investments, as I said at, at, uh, at my introductory comment, in order to make sure that uh, you know, rural areas will not left behind and then we will eventually increase the digital divide between urban and rural. For me, this is the critical parameter on how we work together with national governments and the European Commission in making uh, uh, digital connectivity in, uh, in rural areas a reality now and not in uh, uh, 10 years from now. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you. Thank yes, indeed, I think uh, a timely call to action. Marion, um, I'm sure you have thoughts as well on this, on, on where strategy needs to go and, and what your big ask would be. Um, yes, thank you. I, uh, I, I think I saw, said it already before. I, I, I also appreciate the long-term vision on rural areas and I, I think that we need also to make stronger decisions from uh, policymakers. Then, but then it would be, of course, on local and regional and... Um, 
national level how the digital healthcare is supposed to be complementary to the regular healthcare and how it all can add up to be some kind of economies of scale because the digital healthcare can for sure help with that because i think that it is it is not the problem of the digitization it is the problem of the the economy and and how how we manage the the system uh, and uh, i think that would be uh, a great way to go and i i was really impressed again from sunny near and this model he explained uh, from about uh, this would be the best way to go i think to find find models that use uh, all the possibilities but in an economically sound way so it makes sense and um, yes my main point is all the time the same uh, rural people always also pay taxes and it is really important to see too that they don't feel left behind and um, that's it thank you marion um i think uh, i have some little glitch here but i think i caught the gist of everything you were saying um uh, let me turn uh, stanimir to your thoughts on what needs to happen next in terms of policy to deliver your utopian vision as it were well, luckily, I don't think it's very utopian because I've seen it on practice and how people can benefit of that. We only need to learn from those who already have implemented it. Uh, but uh, what I believe uh, is uh, really crucial in the, in the years to come, and, and this is something uh, as a major learning from the COVID, um, I think, that we have to really stop being excusing ourselves with these competency issues and uh, uh, because I, I believe that besides the very nice strategy and this is not the first one uh, that's coming from the European Commission at the end the weak part of, uh, of the entire process uh, are member states regions as previously mentioned who might decide or, or wrongly understand exactly uh, what the strategy is for or um, uh, because of lack of uh, expertise or knowledge or um, political will at the end uh, the strategy to be just a good uh, uh, nice piece of paper without any um, uh, effect and uh, implementation for the people who need it so i think europe has a role from now on a responsibility because we saw that the COVID doesn't respect any national uh, competencies it simply goes everywhere it's the same with many other diseases which are not so uh, visible as the COVID issue, uh, which simply uh, run out uh, for, for a few days uh, through entire Europe. But diseases are like that. And if, a thing, uh, and if we have patients or citizens of Europe in some areas which are neglected or don't have access to, uh, to technologies or to um, proper healthcare, this is not the problem of this region alone. It's our common problem because we live in one economy we because uh, we are all responsible for this economy because we cannot afford to have uh, uh, countries uh, that are on second speed third speed or lacking behind because we cannot afford even a single life to be lost um, due to preventable or treatable disease therefore i think this would be the greatest challenge ahead the member states really to uh, um, decide and to, to start working together towards better healthcare systems. And the health union is a good step towards that. But uh, this is really a topic for me. Uh, but I do believe that uh, even uh, the, 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 the most brave utopies might 
start becoming reality if we all think alike. It's clear that healthcare cannot stay um, uh, like it is right now, fragmented, different, unaccessible, and uh, uh, creating issues uh, for member states themselves and for the entire union. We have to work together uh, in more unified uh, way, so we make sure that we have equal access to same quality healthcare based on evidence. Thank you very much. Um, I think you've, you've done a great job there of actually summing up a lot of what we've been saying. So, Anna, I will turn to you then to have the, the final word on this question regarding your report looked at a lot of this. So, so give me sort of come full circle, if you like, to tell me what it is you think is needed from policy side. Yes, I think uh, the most important area right now is to move away from spatially blind policies towards a more place-based approach. And for this, we need to change the mentality that healthcare policies are done only by the Ministry of Health. It's uh, really the problems that we face require multi-actor, multi-sectoral strategies, a lot of dialogue and more flexibility. It cannot just be top-down approaches like it has been. We have to break these sectoral silos and we have to advance in the question of rural proofing, really having a rural lens when we design policies, uh, for instance, uh, related to efficiency. Besides this, I think what I mentioned, uh, taking a forward-looking approach also on this, uh, it's important. So those two things, uh, multi-sector, multi-actor strategies, and taking a forward-looking view, this, as I said, is a question of governance and requires really bringing actors together and changing mentalities. Thank you very much indeed, Anna. And of course, we have posted the link to that uh, OECD report in our chat function. I, I want to sum up. Um, I will also say that we have had many audience members appreciating very much your input from all panellists. Uh, but in particular, thank you to the OECD for emphasising the role of primary care, retaining health professionals such as community pharmacists in rural areas and expanding the scope of services they provide is a key lesson to learn from COVID-19 for EU health systems, says Antonio Grasso. So thank you, Antonio, for those comments. Thank you to all of you for your questions. Unfortunately, with an area and a topic as vast as this, we didn't have a chance to get to all of them in just one hour and a half. But I do appreciate that there's a lot going on in the chat and a lot going on online in terms of keeping this conversation going. Obviously, this is not the end of this. This is a a step forward in the journey we need to take towards getting better healthcare rolled out across the EU, wherever you are. But thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you to all our speakers. Do stay with us, follow along, you're active and see our upcoming events and have a great day.